Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. For our scripture reading time, would you guys please give a foundation welcome to our sister Judy Still. She's slow rolling it, so you guys keep clapping. Like she wants the Golden Globes, Golden Globes uh, entrance here. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I can't read that one. <laughs> All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that whatever they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessings were upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one apostle nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribes of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. But there was a certain man named Aeneas, who with his wife Sephora sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, say the name, Ananias, Ananias, who have let Satan fill your heart. You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? And Peter's, whoops, I think you went the wrong way. (laughs) Received for your land. Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out also. Carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened and everyone else who had happened. Sometimes the opening scripture is read and you just go, I'm so glad I came to church today. If you're new to church, you might not have heard this one. Right? Oh, that's the end of the service. 
man, Claudia wants this sermon to be done. She's like, Greg, wrap it up. <laughs> That's how you know it's boring when the sound people, you know, like you've got deacons falling asleep and the ushers are leaning over. Like, wrap this thing up. Um, so if you guys will notice, if you've got a background in church, you're familiar with the chapter divides that you've seen in your Bible your entire life, the big numbers. And I want to reiterate, these chapter numbers were not put in here until editors added them in the 9th century and the verses in the 11th century. So I need you to understand something. This, the section headings and the big number five there that starts chapter five, those are not scripture. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit given word of God are the text here, but the notes at the bottom are not scripture. Any uh, cross references you have in the middle are not scripture. Anything, any number that you see was an, essentially is an editor's note so that people, even 1,100 years ago, who were studying scripture, they could write letters to each other and saying, hey, what do you think about John 3.16? And the other person knows what they're saying. Does that make sense? It's like a roadmap to tell us where we are. The five there is not helpful to the reader. And that is why we started at chapter 4, verse 32. Conceptually, you see one flow of thought. The believers, born of the Spirit, excited of who God is and his gospel going out, one of the manifestations of them loving Jesus more than anything else is that they don't love their money. So they're generous. And then the, the writer, Luke, gives a very brief example of the good guy, the story we would have liked to have heard today. We wish Barnabas got 12 verses. He didn't. He's very briefly mentioned, quiet. He had some land. There were saints in the church family that were in need. He sold the land, laid it at the elders' feet. Again, I'm sorry, I'm a pastor's kid, so I've just seen this my whole life. Laid it at the elders' feet. I'm gonna say this on repeat, guys. You are entrusting your soul care to the elders of this church by being here and sitting under the word as it is taught in the various manifestations in this church. Your soul, if you can entrust them to godly people, how much a smaller thing is your money? And yet I've watched my entire life money being given with strings on it. I guess if I'm honest, I've seen your soul care given over. The saints have done that with strings on it too. 23-year-old guy who tells the pastor, I want to follow Jesus with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, don't mention that, but I want to follow Jesus with everything. That is what? That's strings attached. What we see from Barnabas is this quick, simple generosity laid at the elders' feet. And what I keep telling you guys, get your fingerprints off of it. Get your fingerprints off my rights or perceived rights. Get my fingerprints off my money. Get my fingerprints even off of sacred things like my own marriage. Is it going to be more formed by Jesus or is it going to be more formed by me? So we lay it, in this case, at the seat of authority of the church because it's a gift to the church. And then we get this longer story from Ananias and Sapphira because, well, they messed it up, didn't they? It didn't go very well. So let's start with the good news so that we move through the text rightly. We'll start at the end of chapter 4. Uh, where first point of the sermon is, note takers, who here did not get a program that would like one? Who did not get one? Okay, so everybody's got sermon notes that want them. You've got your pen, steal your neighbor's pen, assault your neighbor, then steal your neighbor's pen, whatever you need to do. You guys heard the one about the two peanuts walking through Central Park, right? 
One was assaulted. Okay. Um, and, and now you've come to the low point of this sermon. Note takers, point number one. This is the, the good news, and this is what uh, I want to commend you for. Healthy churches are marked by quiet, humble generosity. Healthy churches are marked by quiet, humble generosity. Those are your blanks, quiet and humble. Barnabas didn't make a big show of it, right? Hadn't Jesus just a few months earlier said, hey, don't be like the Pharisees that are dropping in their large heavy coins slowly into the temple coffers where you can hit the bottom of a clay pot and echo so everybody can see how generous they are, right? It doesn't even tell us that necessarily anybody knew about it. Luke is a historian who's going and listening to all of what happens. We, we know from language change that's coming up a few chapters in the book of Acts that Luke wasn't here for this. It is possible that Luke did not know Jesus during these events. So this is a part of his study when he wanted to know the whole gospel, you know, birth, through, you know, life, teachings, betrayal, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, all this information he had to find out after the fact as a historian asking everybody who was there. It is possible that nobody knew about Barnabas' gift except the elders. It's possible. There's nothing in here that it became a ruckus. What becomes a ruckus? Dead bodies. Huh. Healthy churches are marked by quiet, humble generosity. Let me tell you briefly a story, if, it's, if you can even call it a story, a blessing that I experienced many moons ago when I was a youth pastor. Not only, and I've told you guys before, how we would have this spaghetti feed the youth would put on and help cook the food and serve everybody their spaghetti, and uh, it was a fundraiser to help get us onto a mission trip or camp, and we would charge $7 a person, and you'd get all of this yummy food. Well, many, many couples in the church were not interested in putting in a $20 bill and waiting there for your five and your one, they drop the 20 in because it's for a mission trip or for youth camp, of course. And there were more than a few that came with a $100 bill for their spaghetti because of what it was for, right? And I, and I always praise God for those folks. And I've seen folks like that in every church I've served in. Wonderful folks. But there were two families in particular that came to me the very first week I was youth pastor there. 20 years old. Don't advise that, folks. I don't advise it. But anyway, I was 20 years old. And they said, Greg, let me introduce myself. Tell me your name. Hand me a little piece of paper. Here's my phone number. He said, every teenager in this church gets to go to camp, period. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I said, yes, sir. You, you talk to us if there's a problem, period, and it's done. Okay? Those people did not come to the deacons meeting and make a show of it in front of 10, 12 people. They didn't stand up in front of the church at a business meeting with 50, 70 people. Hey, we're going to write a blank check to the youth pastor, make sure everybody gets to go on the trip and be discipled. No, they came to me privately. Two human beings and the Lord were the ones that know. Right? 
By the way, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't let your right hand, let, don't your left hand know what your right hand is doing and giving. I've heard that, heaven help us, I've heard that, not at this church, as an excuse for poor communication. Like, don't let the money counters know. No, they are counting this, uh, okay. It is purposefully exaggerated humor. How could one part of your body not know what the other part is doing unless there's something wrong in the brain, Right? Right? Guys, my cancer journey, I got neuropathy. I cannot feel the front half of my feet. That means there's something wrong. My right toe has a general sense that I just tapped my foot. Mostly what I felt was in my ankle. My ankle can feel it. Fun little science lesson you didn't ask for. The right and the left hand should always know and sense what's going on because they have one brain. Jesus is making a joke to, for effect. He's saying, this is how quiet your giving should be. That's what Jesus is saying. So quiet, the little church mouse didn't know about it. Because, <laughs> are you ready for this? If I don't tell anybody, then the glory can't be for me, can it? And glory is the whole point of this text. Who gets the credit? Who gets the praise? Who is made a big, I, I haven't said it in a while, so I want to repeat the Hebrew word kavod for glory is, is a weightiness. Uh, I've, I've used the illustration before of when you are four, five, six years old and you're on a trampoline with your siblings and your cousins and then Uncle Joe hops onto the trampoline, you know you're about to have fun, right? Because Uncle Joe's 190 pounds and that's a lot when you're 40 pounds, right? Uncle Joe, when he sits in the middle, you guys all you know, tuck into a ball and you tumble in toward the middle, Anybody who studied Einstein, that was his theory of relativity. <laughs> imagine, what if, just imagine if Jesus is actually the center of his church and he's heavier than any of our agendas. What if he's deserving of all of the universe gravitating toward him because he's good and he's the giver of life? Just what if? So when you're giving, who's it about, right? Here in our family, some recent examples of this. As I shared with you before, I want to say it again. Somebody took care of replacing the blinds here in the Pringle building, and I don't even know who it was. I love not knowing. I love it. I can't treat you different. I have no idea who it was. I just know that it's the Holy Spirit's work in your life making you generous, because unless the Holy Spirit steps in, do we love money? Do we love the things that money can get us, the feelings it can give us? Yeah, we, money is not, a, a, I don't think, an idol. I think it's a gateway to a thousand idols. I can hoard it to feel safe and secure. I can spend it on shiny things to feel like I'm more successful than I am, right? I can, I can drive a nicer car than I can afford so that I get the approval of people at work or my family to look like I'm something I'm not. And Jesus says, let your giving be so quiet because your Father in heaven sees. What about this? I won't out him again because I'll let him have his blessing, but many of you guys already know. The reason our grounds look like Disneyland, I would say a city park, but frankly the city parks are covered in trash half the time. The reason our grounds look like Disneyland is because of the generosity of somebody who gets off their duff and says, I'm going to make it happen. It's generosity that makes it happen. 
What about winter sanctuary meals? We never struggle to feed everybody. Seven dinners in a row for a pretty decent-sized crowd. We never struggle for food. Mind you, we're partnering with a number of other organizations, but inside and outside of the church, we see consistent generosity. What about bottles of life? You guys did it again. You kept sneaking 20s and hundreds into those bottles when I said, collect your change. You just can't stop those Christians. They're going to keep acting like their Savior, aren't they? So, that's the first half of this sermon. Healthy churches are marked by quiet, humble generosity. Here's the second half of the sermon. The church's purpose, here's your blank, is to communicate Christ's glory through his cross and his empty tomb, so a church of people glorifying themselves will not be honored. A church of people glorifying themselves will not be honored. And by the way, that's putting it lightly. Did the Holy Spirit of the living God kill Ananias and Sapphira, or did Peter kill them? I have one vote for Holy Spirit. I mean, Peter's a man of violence. Five weeks ago, he had a dagger. I mean, come on. Maybe it was him. Who doesn't want the senior pastor to be packing, right? I mean, how cool is it? Oh, you didn't give enough. Yeah. Peter has a track record of acting without thinking, right? And even though he is far from sinless, we have a different Peter, right? This Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. This cool thing called Pentecost happened back in chapter 2 that is setting trajectory not for the rest of the book, but for the rest of the church age until he returns. Did the Holy Spirit of the living God just kill two people? Guys, this one's important. This is tough. Is God allowed to kill people? I've got one for sure yes right here. Like, is, isn't, haven't we made an Olympic sport of judging God and calling him evil for doing stuff we don't like? Peter might have been just as surprised as anybody because if you look at Peter's words, all he says is, Ananias, you're lying to the Holy Spirit which is a whole other theological discourse we should go on one day. When you lie to the church, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Mind blown, right? That's all Peter said. He didn't say, and now you're going to die. No. Ananias dropped down dead in front of him. Peter mentions Sapphira's death because in that moment, filled with the Spirit, he has the confidence the two of them together knew and conspired to lie to God. It was their money, Peter said. They didn't have to. Like, they could, let's for round numbers say, they sold this large property and got a million dollars for it. There's no law obligating these two to sell it. There's no law obligating them to give any of it. They could sell a million dollar property and throw a hundred bucks in the, in the bucket at the back. Right? There was nothing wrong with the amount. The problem is when you give an amount to the church and you say, it was this much. You guys heard the one about the one-armed fisherman, right? He caught a fish that was this big. Okay. When you lie about it, guess what you're doing? This is now about you getting glory in front of people. 
This has nothing to do with money. Ananias and Sapphira want glory. Perhaps, maybe, because we don't, again, we don't know, if Barnabas' generosity was known, maybe they're looking at the good reputation Barnabas has and go, we want that too. I want the good reputation that generous people have. I just don't want to have to be that generous. That's why I love that the bucket's just at the back, nonchalant. I've been to church, and by the way, every culture does stuff different, and I am not judging culture, but I loved, for other reasons, I spent a month in Ghana in West Africa in 1998, and there was a pedestal right here in front of the pulpit and had the giving bucket on it, and here, the same as here, two aisles, a giant circle formed and people danced in a counterclockwise circle and you were, it was, the music was playing, you know, top. nobody in that church complained about the volume, let me just put it that way. And you danced and you, and the ladies are working in their purses as they're moving, it's awesome. And bringing your gifts because all of this is about joy, not begrudging submission. So there are so many things beautiful culturally about that. If we had a bucket here at the front, one of the temptations we would have to address inside our own hearts is the giving bucket is up front. Everybody can see that I'm giving. Am I going to drop an, envy, an, an empty envelope in the bucket so everybody thinks I am more generous than I am? Right? In the world of digital money, this has actually made it easier than ever to be discreet, hasn't it? So, praise God, this is actually a sin that is a little bit less tempting than it was in previous times. There aren't really any outward things where I declare to Renault, I gave this much money just with my actions. It doesn't really happen, and vice versa. So, praise God that we can quietly give online. Praise God we can drop something in the bucket. Nobody knows if it's two bucks or two thousand. <laughs> I'm not speaking in faith. Nobody knows whether it was two bucks or two million. Nobody knows. You have freedom in Christ to do either of those two things. You really do. A church of people glorifying themselves will not be honored. Do you see how the text flows from the death of these two people immediately to a holy, reverent fear that we preached on a couple chapters back? You see, God wasn't angry at Ananias and Sapphira toward death because Peter had committed a way worse sin in betraying Christ a few weeks before and Peter didn't get killed. This means the death of this husband and wife team has a communal purpose. It's exactly what the text says. Jesus is not interested in this, I want to say nascent, what's plain English? This brand new, just-born group of folks called the church. Just starting off, like a church plant, where every cultural decision is going to be big because everybody who joins in is going to see this is what's normal here. And Holy Spirit of the living God, with far more wisdom than you or I have, says to himself in the moment, this is too big of a deal. And he kills two people for lying to him in order to bless the church. Who here, when they think of the word blessing, I've got a blessing coming, pastor, you're thinking of somebody next to you dying. Well, don't answer that. (laughs) 
the church desperately needed to fear God more than man. Does that make sense? We still desperately need to care more about the approval of our Savior than the approval even of the good saints in the chairs next to us. That's dangerous, guys. When you want the approval of total strangers, it, the silliness is a little bit obvious. Yeah, I dropped a bazillion dollars on a brand new truck I couldn't afford to look silly, to, to, to look cool for a stranger at a stoplight I'm never going to meet. You can kind of see that silliness. But you come in close to friends. You come in close to people who love Jesus and humbly serve him. And it happens. It is so logical in a certain way. The people around you are sacrificing. They're gentle and they're humble and they're quiet in the way that they serve. And you want to be accepted as one of them. You want the fruit, you just don't like the root. I don't want to have to be generous. I'm a lover of money. And I still want the praise of people. So now I'm tempted to hatch a plot. How can I look good in front of people amongst whom I want to be accepted? And I hatch a plot. Brothers and sisters, this is so much bigger than giving money at church, isn't it? I want the approval of somebody other than God. In order to get that approval, I would have to do something really generous or kind or loving. I'm not generous or kind or loving enough to do that, right? There have been various college admissions scandals where 18-year-olds took a year off because mommy and daddy clearly had deep pockets, and they toured Europe or somewhere for a year and then applied to Harvard And it said that they had been in Peru digging trenches to bring water to impoverished communities. See, I don't want to do the work. Actually, I was in Venice on the third floor of a villa mommy and daddy were paying for. But Harvard, you know, I want to get in and and they look, you know, they look well on, on community service, so I should say that I did something nice, right? If we stopped and brainstormed it, and I encourage you to do this, if you journal, I encourage you to take, take 15 minutes and just go, Lord, what are the ways in which I desire the approval of people? Because those desires, every one of them, every day has to be laid at the foot of the cross every single day. You know that, right? You give it to Jesus on a Tuesday and you could plant your face into a brick wall at high speed on a Wednesday, running full bore. Remember, Peter, in less than a chapter, went from you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to, oh, don't get yourself killed and get behind me, Satan, in the space of a few verses. We are not better than him, right? We're not better than him. Oh, I skipped the next step. I'm so sorry. You A-typers were sitting there with a nervous twitch from your army days the whole time. He didn't tell me the next step blank. Let's go back to the tail end of section one. Here's your next step. Healthy churches are marked by quiet, humble generosity. So here's what I want you to do. Make a glory plan for your giving. Make a glory plan for your giving. This is simpler than it sounds. When you are thinking about giving to something, because there's an announcement and we're telling you there's this giving opportunity, In your Bible study or small group, you hear about somebody who's in need. There's a chance to give something. Decide now 
whose glory am I going to pursue in this and how I'm going to make sure he gets it. This is why Melissa's heart gets to overflow with more gratitude for the goodness of God than the rest of us. When we give to something in the church that is anonymous, somebody still has to process the check. So Melissa knows that we gave something anonymous, and she praises God for it, right? But the fact that it was kept away from the public eye means that the glory is for who? You made a glory plan. Good job. See, Ananias and Sapphira, tragically, they made a glory plan too. It was just pointed in the wrong direction, right? Let me tell, let's go back to the second point. I'm sorry to be jerking you guys all around. So the church's purpose is to communicate Christ's glory through his cross and empty tomb. So a church of people glorifying themselves will not be honored. I want to go back to a story that we, uh, we do not know very well. Actually, the ladies know it well because God knows every women's Bible study has to be on the books of Esther or Ruth. So you ladies are champs, but the fellas were like, Esther, wait, that's in the Bible, hold on, huh? So allow me to bring us up to speed. Nah, I'm not going to bring you up to speed. I'm going to tell you the gist. I'm going to tell you the gist of this book. Very interesting, beautiful book we should dive into one day. Even though the book is named for Esther, and she is the hero in a lot of ways, linguistically and in the storyline, really, what you see is a grudge match between somebody named Haman, who's the bad guy. When modern Jewish communities to this day tell this story, when the name Haman is brought up, everybody hisses, because he's the evil, right? Um, he's actually a direct descendant of a group of people that Saul was supposed to kill, and he did not. And so this group of people is coming back to bite the people of God in the derriere hundreds of years later because our sins come back, don't they? Saul's sins are still haunting Israel hundreds of years later. And Mordecai, the good guy. Mordecai is not the main good guy, but he is kind of a stand-in for Israel because he is persecuted by Haman. So what looks like on face level Assyria and Israel uh, I'm sorry, deeper, deep meaning is Assyria versus Israel, or really Satan attacking God. On a relational level, it is Haman and his hatred for Mordecai. And there's this constant fight for glory of who's going to get the attention, who's going to look good in front of King Xerxes and Queen Esther, who's going to be elevated because they get the glory, who's going to get promoted. And it's actually a play on words by the author talking about ele elevating and honoring and glorifying, which means lifted up. I'm going to spoil it for you. Haman builds a platform for the glorification, the lifting up here, impalement of Mordecai. He has planned his death. He's conspired. So there's this 75-foot platform with a pole on it, and they just take you alive and shove you down onto the pole and leave you there. Let the birds eat you. Is that fun? And when the plot is unhatched, right when... It is getting darkest, and it looks like there is no hope for Mordecai and for the Jews. All of a sudden, the truth comes out, and Haman is elevated. He's put up on that spike when he built that spike for someone else. Brothers and sisters, our world and its rebellion against God keeps building towers of Babel to elevate self. We can be like God. I'm awesome. 
I'm going to show myself as awesome. I'm going to glorify me. And then there's going to be this cruel twist of fate when the truth comes out called the return of Christ. And there will be judgment for those of us who spent our whole life making a big deal about ourselves. Jesus said it this way, you know the humble will be exalted, those who are exalted will be humbled, right? Don't clamor for a seat close to the head of the table. Go sit at the very foot of the table, even if you think you outrank half of these folks. Sit at the foot of the table because the, when the, head, uh, the, or the host comes in and sees you, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Their social convention is very different than ours. Rank matters a lot. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dear friend, he's going to come and put his arm around you. You're a higher rank. He's going to make half this table or more slide down to make a spot for you. That exaltation is a picture of the white throne judgment, the end of everything. You spend your whole life humble. You spend your whole life at the foot of the table. You spend your whole life in your skibbies washing donkey stuff off the feet of people maybe you don't even know at Winter Sanctuary. And when Christ opens books and judges everything and everyone. He goes, what are you at the foot of the table for? You're washed in my blood. You are righteous before the Father. Come into my kingdom. That sounds like a good day if you have followed the humble Christ who had a cross on his shoulder and he said, grab your cross, put it on your shoulder, do the same as me. The end of you, the end of your life, the end of your Will outside of mine. You have a will. It's just that every prayer ends the same way. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. If you're exploring faith, you need to know this is what Christianity is about. We trust Jesus so much with running our lives, we're able to say, Jesus, I want your agenda in this situation. And we can say it honestly because we trust him. So here's your next step under number two. Make a glory plan for your giving. You already said that, Greg. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying it until it sinks in. Make a glory plan for your giving. The positive, the first half of the sermon, pursuing God's glory. What's the second half of the sermon? Searching my own heart carefully to avoid my own pursuit of glory, right? The positive and negative of the exact same thing. Brothers and sisters, make a glory plan for your giving of your money, of your energy, your spiritual gift, your time, your talents. We have to decide who needs to become famous in Citrus Heights for hearts of stone to be turned into hearts of flesh. Let's make it easy. Let's, let, okay, sermon's over, and it's not. Trivia time. If we all work to exalt the name, the illustrious name of Gregory, how many people get saved? Donut! All right, I, I didn't hang on a cross to save them. What about you? Did you hang on a cross to save our city? Did you hang on a cross to save our world? So we're going to have to listen to Jesus when he says, the Son of Man be lifted up and draw all men to himself. I will be treated as the unclean animal of the snake in the desert. I will become a snake if that is what it takes. I will become unclean, filthy, viewed as a symbol of death. Let's be honest, a symbol of what Satan deserves. 
I will become all of those things on a cross. And Jesus is lifted up. He will draw all men to himself. This is why the glory game matters, brothers and sisters. No one gets saved if anybody gets glorified other than Jesus. That's why Ananias and Sapphira's lives were forfeit. They played the glory game wrong. And yeah, have we had 2,000 years of history where Jesus has not, in his wisdom, apparently given that warning repeatedly? Of course, we'd all be dead by now. But this happened once at least, and the story was given to us so that we would stand before Jesus saying, Lord, I need your help. Please help me to make you the point. I need your help. Pray with me. Jesus, we confess that we love you. We've got this old self called the flesh that only ever exalts self. And we wish that that wasn't true, but we thank you, Jesus, that you died, that the flesh would be defeated, that there'd be a spirit-born self inside us. God, make us humble. God, make us true disciples who ask questions of you, not tell you how to run your universe. Make us disciples. God, make our humility manifest itself as we serve people around us, not to feel good about ourselves. How arrogant, how blasphemous, God, where we're doing stuff to just pat ourselves on our back, protect our hearts against that nonsense. God, for those of us who are investigating the Christian faith, make your death on the cross as clear to them as if they were standing in front of you watching it happen. Help them to see your power and your love in washing away the sins of rebels like us. And God, those of us who love you, we ask for your Spirit's power for the next six and a half days where we will strategize and connive and do whatever we can to give you glory in the workplace and on our street and in our home and amongst our friends. Give us the strength that we need. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Last thing, if you are new to the Foundation family, uh, we have connection cards right here at the connection table. Isn't that so amazingly creative? Uh, on there is a chance for you to express interest in the ministries of the church, but the main thing I want to ask you to do, if, you're, if, if you've been on the first date and you go, oh, Foundation was nice, and you came again. You were on the second date. Like, and they're kind of cute too. And you came back for a third date. I just want to humbly submit to you, maybe it's time that we got your digits. All right? So if you put your name and phone number on there, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to text you so that you've got my phone number. Just say, hey, so glad to meet you. This is Pastor Greg's personal number. Any way we can serve you, I'd love to serve you. And I'm going to invite you to coffee. You do not have to say yes, but I'm buying I saw a few of you guys, I'm going to pretend to be new. This is going to be great. Get free coffee. So that's what the Connect card is. You just fill that out and leave it back there, and I will shoot you a text. I love you guys. Have a great week.